Welcome back to 12 Ounces of Sobriety Podcast. I'm Pat Sharp here as always with my awesome co-host Carson. Carson, how are you today? I'm doing so well. So well. Uh, it's a little earlier. We are recording on a Sunday morning. This is our first time doing that. First time on a weekend recording. First time on a weekend recording. Um, and we will make that very clear as to why we're doing this at this time here in a moment. Uh, but yeah, it is a beautiful morning. It's about 69 degrees, LOL. And I uh, got a light rain. I love the rain. No? no? You're going no? We're not third graders, buddy. Fuck you. All right, go back. No, keep going. It's fine. So it's a it's a beautiful morning, nice and rainy. The only thing about the rain, though, is I'm playing pickleball a little bit later. So if it's not it's weather permitting. It's supposed to stop raining by early afternoon. Yeah, so a couple of reasons why we are, not that you guys care, because I'm going to drop this on Friday anyways, but we're recording on a Sunday morning because Carson's going out of town this week, and we are doing an interview this morning with uh, Nicole, who is a friend of ours that is also in recovery, and so we'll get into that. First thing we'll start with, though, is alcohol in the news. If you listened to us a couple weeks ago, you heard our story about the teacher who was arrested at school when she blew a .24, and... There's another video got another. on law and crime. Another teacher arrested at school for drunkenness uh, after alcohol was smelled on her breath. Carson, you watched the video. I haven't had a chance to. What exactly happened here? Yeah, there were a few parallels between this one and the one that we walked through a few weeks ago. But this one was a lot easier to watch. And uh, there weren't as it wasn't as theatrical is the other one to say the least uh she she blew a point zero six six uh she definitely reacted the same way uh which was more of a i don't know how that happened but i had a glass of wine last night ten thirty, and it's like well no that's not going to happen you're not going to blow that um so they had to go through that bs and kind of pry it out of her she was she was standing strong for a while but eventually she just kind of admitted it and um and then he was like, all right, well, can you call someone? I don't have anybody to call. And then she cuffed her uh, or he cuffed her and she was like, I'm going to do it in the front. She's like, okay, okay. And so this one wasn't, again, this wasn't one that we need to really dig into that much, but it was more of the fact that we have another one. Uh, there's that, That's now two that have come out, two of these body cam videos of the exact same thing, teachers being arrested for drinking in school and, you know, that is that is a small percentage, I'm sure, of what how many that are actually doing that, which is pretty crazy. Well, I think in any profession, I don't think people realize sometimes the amount of and we've thrown numbers your way, the amount of people that suffer with alcohol abuse disorder, alcoholism, substance abuse. And as we talk about addiction doesn't discriminate and it'll go after anybody, but just for I don't think people realize in the professional world, whether it's teachers, police officers, EMTs, firefighters, lawyers, doctors, there are people drunk on the job and it's not good, but it goes back to with our, how our society romanticizes alcohol and you cross that line and become, uh, you know, an alcoholic and you're doing everything you can to just make it through the day. And a lot of that involves drinking. And so you're trying to hide it. 
you know, when we're in active addiction, we're liars, we're manipulators. And this just goes to show you again that you would think the one place that you wouldn't see anybody drinking in schools, it still happens uh, where teachers are, you know, they're alcoholics as well. They're trying to survive. They're, they're humans that uh, at the end of the day that are that are trying to uh, get through the day. And unfortunately, this trend is continuing and we're seeing it pop up more and more. And again, I think it goes to, like I said, with the, the teacher in Oklahoma or Kansas or wherever it was that. No, it was Oklahoma. Oh, it was Oklahoma. Yeah. I think she's going to look back on this. If she stays clean and she gets the help she needs, she'll look back on this a year or two from now and realize it was a blessing as long as she gets the help that she needs For and sure. she'll feel great about herself. And and I think this situation applies here, too. So if you're out there struggling and you end up hitting bottom and, and now you're on the way to through sobriety or, or whatever you're doing, realize that that's not the end of your life. Things aren't over that you're that you're going to be OK. So. That's all we have today for the alcohol in the news, and we're n- now going to jump into our interview yes 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 all right so we have on a very special guest nicole uh quick background on this is um as most of our listeners probably know i relapsed last year um around the early fall and i made the decision to go back to the treatment program um, that i had since completed earlier that year which is where Pat and I met. Uh, so I went back for another round. First one didn't tape. And I met Nicole there. So we had um, we had a good time. We had a good time. And she is now 10 months or coming up on 10 months sober. But her and I are pretty close in that time. But Nicole, thanks Hello. for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. So good to be here. Exactly how far along are you in your sobriety? It'll be 10 months. And... Just under two weeks. Okay. Yep. Is this your first time getting sober? First go around. Yep. Took me two decades to get here. But you're here. I am. That I am. So what, if just to quickly, if you wouldn't mind, give us a, give us a SparkNotes version of your journey into this, why you made the decision, a couple, maybe a couple of things that were a trigger point for you uh as to where you looked in the mirror and said all right i'm not doing this shit anymore yeah that's that's a loaded question but i'll be i'll try to be concise about it um so like i said it took me two decades to get here and it took me almost losing my job uh more it's more than a job it's a career and so that was kind of the point where i realized i needed help um when I was getting up in the morning at 5.30 with the shakes and had to drink, never thought I would get to that point, but I did and realized this was not the life that I wanted to live. Um, a little background as well. I suffer from an eating disorder that is also two decades long and that having those two monstrous demons um, just battling it out, the the eating, uh, the eating disorder has always been there and the alcohol has, that's the one thing I always said I would never give up is drinking. But it did get to the point where I was in treatment for my eating disorder and an intervention um, took took place where 
they told me I needed to either stop drinking and go get help or um, it, it was one or the other. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do my treatment for eating disorder while I was drinking naturally. So I surrendered for the first time and said, you know, I feel like shit every single day. And, you know, it was more acceptable to get treatment for my eating disorder, right? And whereas I just completely, I said, fuck it. Um, let's try it. Let's see. Let's see what happens. It can't, it can't hurt. And I was recently, it, I was drinking on the job, speaking of drinking on the job for for a solid seven months and, you know, completely thought that nobody could tell. Everybody could tell. Um, <laughs> it's one of those, it's one of those things that cunning, baffling, powerful, the, the addiction is making you think that nobody knows. Um, but I was with, I was actually with, I know I'm rambling guys. You're not I was, rambling. I was with, um, I was with an ex who i I'm actually fortunate. I I do not like him at all. He was also he is an alcoholic. But the reason I he's one of the reasons I also got into treatment because his alcoholism alcoholism got so bad that he went into treatment. So I also did right after that. So that's that was a blessing. Um but yes, I was out on leave for six months, met this wonderful guy, Carson, in our treatment program. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> and from there, the rest is history. Thank you, <laughs> Nicole, for sharing that. Um, you said one thing there that I wanted to uh, bring back up, and it was uh, that getting treatment for your eating disorder is a lot more acceptable than getting treatment for something like this. So Correct. in your own person, like, so in your own personal view, before you went to the treatment program, can you walk through your thoughts on it? Just personally, you're not going to hurt our feelings. I mean, you were there too, right? So what was your kind of idea, your depiction of getting help for something like this and, or what you thought other people were going to think? Cause I think that that's very important and mm -hmm. could be a reason why somebody wouldn't get treatment for something like this that they're struggling is because of that perception. Yeah, there's there's the stigma around alcoholism and addiction. I feel that is, you know, you're more of like a black sheep and it's just not, it's not something that I personally felt comfortable sharing with people. And very few people know, actually, it's just at work, it's just my boss who knows that I went in um, originally for my eating disorder, but then quickly realized that I needed to get help for my addiction. And again, people just just from my past experience with getting treatment for my eating disorder, people look at that as more acceptable and, oh, good, good job. Like you're doing a great thing for your health, for your body, you know, but admitting that I have a problem with alcohol was I don't know if it was more of a pride thing. It and a pride and, you know, I've got a job. I can I can balance my life. I can pay my bills. I don't, you know, hell yeah, yeah. I can I can drink and, and manage. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the issue a lot of people run into is is the ego when you have to admit you have a problem. And especially like what you said, you know, as a functioning alcoholic at times. 
which I was for a long time until the very, very end. And I was still fine. Like I've said this before. I haven't been arrested or, you know, anything like Same. that. I never lost a job, but I, I was spiraling out of control. And it was, I mean, I'm sure I was about to do those things real quickly when, but yeah, it's, it's that pride and ego thing saying, Hey, I can't fix this myself. I need help. And then I think comes, and I always talk to, I harp this on Carson because this is my third time getting sober. And the first two times it was like, all right, I'm smarter than this disease. My ego said that I don't need to stay sober long-term that, you know, I was sober for a couple months. I can go have a few beers and be okay. And it just isn't the case. And so anybody that hasn't relapsed, you know, that your ego can get in your way again, thinking that you're better and you're you're not the same as anybody else, that you're not as bad off and, and it's just not the case. Yeah, I think the blame game, and, and Nicole, correct me if I'm wrong, but from my point of view, I think that, oh, Nicole's going to treatment for an eating disorder. Oh, that's not your fault. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad you're getting help. Nicole's going to rehab for alcoholism mm. the choice Man, that gr- it's, it's almost she chose to have a problem with this. yeah yep. it's like i'm it's like i didn't choose to have an eating disorder it's the right. same same concept it, i didn't choose but to it have feels, alcoholism and granted we i'm not saying that we are blameless when it comes to us actively choosing i mean because at the end of the day we did choose to pick up one day when we did not i guess technically have uh, you know an, an, an issue However, I do think that it gets murky there because when that disease finally takes form, it definitely seems more of a, a a blame towards that person. And I'm hoping that, you know, as we continue to talk through these types of things and we progress in society that people can see that, hey, listen, it is it is a very real thing. Well, one thing, though, is you said, you know, getting help for an eating disorder, like everybody's like all supportive. And then, you know, alcoholism, you have this negative connotation with it and i think as a society if you being a female saying i have an eating disorder everybody you know seems to think that's more common to where i think the roles would reverse i'm i think men are more accepted to say i have alcoholism or a drinking problem than women yes 100 yes and, and yes. Then if i said hey i gotta get help for an eating disorder people would be like what, what? that's a good point it's very standards. much that way because how did we get there? Why are eating Ooh. disorders cool yeah. for women and alcohol? Like, oh, you know, man. don't even get me started. <laughs> shocker for the listeners. Shocker for the listeners. I know you can't hear us, but Nicole is a female and Carson and myself are male. So, you know, these roles. I sound like a male uh, yeah. sometimes. <laughs> My burly voice. But, so burly. God. <laughs> you know, I, I think in society, we have these preconceived notions that. 100%. Something. You know, eating disorders are only for females and alcoholism is only for males. And if you look at the uh, the big book in the 12 step program, it is 100 percent geared towards men. Now, granted, it was wrote back in the 30s. Yeah. But I I think you it's it's interesting that you bring that up and, and kind of your viewpoint as a female of the two different addictions. And I will also say this, that I had to fight like hell when I came back from treatment. Uh, to keep my job. And I guarantee it's the fact that I told my boss that I had 
gone in for alcoholism versus my eating disorder. And had I left it at that, when I came back, I wouldn't have gotten been put through the ringer. And the fact that I, yep, that I told her that I had really to address my alcoholism set me back. Yeah, I I remember when you went back and you were very nervous and I kept telling you, why are you so nervous? This is something that you had to go do. You completed it. You're going to go crush it. And it all started to make sense, you know, in retrospect, but uh, you did have to fight like hell and you were only able to do that because you were you helped yourself through that. And then you went back and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've probably been the most productive this year than you have in your career just about now. Yep. Same with you. Because you're clear headed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Other otherwise I would never most of people most people would just lay down and probably give up. But the fact that I was sober and, you know, woke up the the worst day that I that I have when I wake up is just being tired. It's not hungover, it's not being drunk and you know, I would never have been able to rebuild and regain that trust and cred with with the folks I work with. Um, had it not been for my being sober. I'm going to switch gears for a minute. You're nine and a half months, coming up on 10 months sober. You know, where have you struggled? You know, we, we always talk about how great sobriety is, but we've all had struggles within sobriety to get where we are. Where have you found your struggles and how have you kind of worked through those? Full transparency every single day. I struggle with it. It's all I've ever known since I was 17. I'm 38 now. Um, and I feel like my biggest struggles are when it comes to feeling lonely, isolated and abandoned. And, and honestly, I, I, I want to drink when I feel those things. I want to feel, I, I want to drink when I'm excited, when I have a win and the struggles, you know, living uptown and having everything at my disposal, you know, we've got Panthers games, we've got Knights games. There's and a new brewery on the corner every there's I mean, everywhere. We probably have 60 breweries in Charlotte. At and this I point. hear people partying and, you know, it's 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 a struggle every single day and I just have to tell myself that this life right now I don't want to go back to the way I was and that's the only thing that keeps me from not taking a drink every single day because I don't want to go back to that person I was. And I mean, the struggle is real. It's, you know, I think about it. I think about it every hour of every day. That doesn't mean I'm going to drink. Um, I just have to keep reminding myself that not only is it going to set me back, but it's, it is cunning, baffling and powerful. And so I'm not better than anybody else. As soon as I pick up that drink, I I won't be able to control myself. Who? You said you don't want to go back to that other person. Yeah. Who is that person? I don't even know. I wouldn't even recognize her anymore. I see her in pictures and just the lifelessness and the eyes and just just maintaining and not living is is that person and definitely not connected to any values whatsoever. You know, <laughs> we talk a lot about setting boundaries on here. That's and a good one. You talk about, you know, living in uptown Charlotte. Everything going on, um, kind of the party scene where you are, it's vibrant, it's exciting. And if that's a struggle for you, have you thought about setting a boundary and moving? I have. I've thought about that. 
However, what I've learned over my life so far is that geography doesn't change me. Problems are going to follow you. They will. And I'm not stating that because geography doesn't. My what I am stating is less temptation. Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying to up and move to, you know, Kansas here. I'm talking, you know, five suburbs, to the burbs, five, 10 miles away where on the street corner is not the uh, a bar. Maybe you have to drive a mile to get to a bar and not three feet. Yeah. You don't hear, you know, drunk assholes walking past your wherever you live after going to a Panthers game or a nice game or a Hornets game or, you know, or there's some kind of celebration going on, a festival where it is literally outside your window. I'm not talking, yeah, moving across. I'm talking, yeah, just distancing yourself a little bit, setting that boundary. Like we talk about, you drive past that liquor store every day on your way home or somebody does taking a different route. Yep. And I have thought about removing myself from the situation. My lease is up. Uh, in December. However, I've thought about the other end of or the other side of this. And that would I would be a little more remote, a little more isolated. And so there's there's that side of the mm. coin as well. Which it's good that you're thinking about all those. Things. Oh, yeah. it is. Yeah, I have to if I don't play the tape forward, I will get myself into to a mess. Yeah. As somebody <laughs> that dealt with isolation and depression, especially with drinking. And that's where I was really bad at is I would just isolate. I would cancel plans. I would just sit by myself and just drink and think it was normal, of course. Um, So I get that aspect of it. And then not it. You don't sometimes, like I say, with moving added stresses. And if that's something that, you know, really like you're saying, you, you don't you're scared of being that isolated and being away from things and and so it's good that you're thinking of that and that you're you know kind of weighing all options yeah i definitely have to this is is my recovery and i I have to just weigh out everything and you know i'm looking at being in uptown as exposure therapy right um this being being around everybody having fun and partying and you know if I were at home not hearing any of this, I would still, I'd probably have FOMO and I would, I'd still be wanting to drink. And who knows, maybe I would find it more acceptable, you know, oh, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll drink. Like, you know, I'm, I'm by myself. Nobody knows. I'm farther away. I'm more removed, more isolated. Good point. And it could give me an out. And I don't want that either. So that is a good point. Do I stay or do I go? Do I put up with the fireworks? (laughs) Do I put up with the fireworks and the cheering and everybody out at the pool drinking? And or do I go and have more time with my thoughts and be more isolated to where I might I might resent I might start being resentful. And that's like one of the top reasons people go back to drinking is resentment. So, uh. yeah, we, I mean, we, uh, one of our re- most recent episodes was resentment mm-hmm. and, for a reason. It, and speaking of like, you know, living where you do and everything going on and, and kind of getting that now, what are some things that you do now that you didn't do before instead, you know, you filled your time with drinking. What do you fill in your time with these days? Full transparency if we're <laughs> I have my eating disorder has flared up. It's one of those I feel like 
with any addiction, it's whack-a-mole. If you're not doing one, you're going to go to the other. So just trying to figure out new ways and I need to do a better job of this um, and not just fall back into my eating disorder, which is what I know, which is safe. And it's that's an outlet as well. That's, you know, if I'm not drinking at somebody, I'm, you know, I'm bulimic and I'm eating and binging and purging at somebody. And it's it's the same concept. So I need to find, you know, everyone's like, do you have a hobby? Well, it used to be drinking. So now I just need to fill my time with more productive, um, uh, fulfilling, fulfilling things to fill my time. And yeah, I, I go to I go to a 12 set, set meeting every Sunday and I, I could be doing more for my recovery. I really I really could be. And I know I know this. I'm not I'm sort of white knuckling it. No, that's that's why I had a question for you. You, right. you. you mentioned um sorry. You mentioned drinking at someone mm-hmm. uh somebody or binging and purging at somebody. Um so is that has that been something that you have thought about maybe taking a step back and addressing that particular part of it? Because it seems like, you know, for a lot of us, uh, this is deep-rooted stuff. Uh, you mentioned isolation and loneliness is one key reason as to why you feel the need to pick up again. Uh, we all like to have fun and and sure, certainly that's something in the back of the head as well. Um, but it seems like this is also, as you just previously mentioned, uh, you have resentments. And so walk us through, if any, a path or what you've been doing to address that and to try and come at peace with that. Cause Pat and I have been talking about peace a lot recently and that's a, that is a key factor in, in the sustainability of long-term sobriety. Yes. I need to address my resentment specifically with my father. Um, that's, that's a work in progress, um, with my therapist. I recommend everybody has a therapist by the way. And being at peace, I, I feel if I can address certain things in my life that make me want to drink, I have trauma as well. Addressing these things, I lost my brother, my my only sibling, four and a half years ago to brain cancer. And that certainly hasn't helped um, with, with wanting to drink. And the resentments that I hold until I come to terms with those and really address what they're doing to me behind the scenes, you know, this is, and it's the perfect time to do it when you're sober to, to, to address these resentments. You had mentioned you go to one 12 step meeting a week. Yes. I am a person that is a huge proponent on 12 step meetings. Have you thought about upping the amount of meetings you go to? Because knew that was coming (laughs) one. Okay. With you're talking about like resentments and, and, you know, trying to fill voids and things like that, I have found that, and and you go to a therapist, but a 12-step meeting can almost be group therapy and and trying to find ones that, you know, for example, my home group is is fairly small. I mean, most of our meetings are around 10 people. It's comfortable. You can really open up and and some people like bigger meetings, but regardless of, of that, a meeting's at an hour long, somewhere where you get it. And I'm talking about like going in person, not doing one on Zoom, which is fine. You can do that. But, you Nothing know, compares s- to in person. Yeah. Nope. Finding nope. something to to be more productive with your time to help kind of 
not isolate and struggle, maybe saying, all right, an hour a day in five days a week, I need to go sit down in person in a meeting and really start working because with resentments, you know, part of the 12 steps, that's a big part of it. And it's not an overnight fix. I mean, it takes, I know people that it takes years and years to, to get over those resentments. And so I'm just curious, have you thought about, you know, trying to explore that avenue a little bit? More? 100%. Yes, of course. But then I, there's this little thing called excuses and everybody's got them. But I, I have definitely thought that attending a few more, a few more meetings a week and really upping my support will help me. And I'm, I'm on, I'm on the hunt for some new groups. I feel like, you know, it's a little bit like dating when you, when you go into these meetings, you really have to feel comfortable and find your right, right spot. And, um, there are a few that I can, I I could do better, um, when it, when it comes to, to be, to building up my arsenal of, of tools and, and going, just going to more meetings, but. Can I challenge you to something right now? Sure. Oh gosh. (laughs) On a Sunday morning at 938. And I know you're apparently you can't challenge someone if it's Sunday morning at 938. Well, I'm going to. Who who knew? I'll have some more of my C4 energy drink. There you go. Why don't you commit to doing 90 and 90? Oh, Oh boy. That is a great question. It works for people. I know it does. I did 90 and 90 before. Carson, have you done 90 and 90? I have not. Okay. I know people that have been three, four years in sobriety and have felt themselves just kind of in a rut, and then they'll go do 90 and 90 to kind of help pick them up. That is, a, that is a fantastic idea and something I'm actually thinking about challenging myself should, with that. You with, guys should with shake on it. You guys should shake on it. I'm thinking Carson. And N- listen. And I didn't mean to put do you not in spot me, with Do it. not pull me into this. I'm not <laughs> saying I'm not going to do it. However, you guys are talking right now. We are. You can't. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not going to be a buffer. I'm not going to be you know, a buffer right. for, for I'm you I'm just two. saying it would be a great idea. Sure. You know, because more support, you know, you've never done it. I've never well, done Pat, it. Pat, Pat and I will talk about it separately, but it, this is you. I this go to it. three to five meetings a week. Wow. And I have for a while. There yeah. when I first got sober, I was every day. Um, And I, you know. I'm sorry to put you on the spot with this. I think 90 and 90 would be fantastic for you. We're in the business trying to help people, and I think that would be very helpful. That's a good point. I will no, take that. It really is. It really is a good point. Um, and I, you can do anything in 90 days. Yes. Right? Yeah. 90, Isn't that what they said? 90 and 90 is not really – I mean, it takes some scheduling and time or time management a little bit, which is all beneficial as well. And – you live in Uptown Charlotte. There's probably 50 meetings within 10 miles of you. Yep. It, and there is the virtual for some of them as well. There is the Zoom. My challenge is 50 or in 90 person. and 90 in person. Yep. Okay. okay. I knew Pat was on that. We're All right. same that's page. Fair. All right. So that that's my Dr. Phil moment here saying, right. hey, why don't you uh, commit to doing 90 and 90? And, and you know what we should do? You should do 90 and 90, and then we should have her back on and see where we're standing with everything. That okay. is a great idea. I didn't realize I was going to come here and feel inspired and motivated. Thank you. Hey, that's what I do. No, I'm just <laughs> Thank kidding. you, Pat. <laughs> Dr. Pat, baby, DP. Uh, so, Nicole, you, you know, you've you've done a great job of walking us through some of your 
struggles at a, at a relatively high level and some of your experiences and, and some of the reasons as to why you drink and still want to drink. Um, I know the answer to this, but I would love for you to share a little bit about your trip or something else if you want to share something else. But I would love for you to share about the benefits of what you've seen uh, from being so adamant about your sobriety. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> and because I I want to focus on on the good as well. Uh, you know, oh, I'm doing this and 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 you are in a in a place right now where you are thinking about it every hour. Well, what what the hell's the point, right? The well, point? please please elaborate on what the point is and what you've seen from this. Well, perfect uh, example here. I just recently came back from Las Vegas. We had a work trip. Um with 19,000 of the folks from my company. You mentioned this, Carson. Yeah. She was I, the example I, you used. I did. I, I, te- I teed her no, up on a yes. few. Yeah. I te- if you listen to our episode, I think it's three weeks ago or something like oh, this that. This is great to talk At about. At the time, I had no idea who you are talking about. Yeah. Now I, I do. This is I'm, me. Yeah. This, yeah. She's, she's here. Taking me and putting me on the strip um, for five days in Las Vegas just you know, nine and a half months sober. It was tough. I had been thinking about this for months and months ahead of time and playing the tape through. And, and you know, I've been to Las Vegas on work trips and I have made an ass of myself. And I have woken up feeling like shit and, you know, going through the sessions and trying and, you know, just wondering, oh my God, what did I do last night? What did I say? You know, what, and I didn't want that experience. I didn't want this time to be that experience, not only because my job was on the line, but more so I wanted to do this for me to prove that I could get on a plane to Las Vegas that four and a half hours and I could not, I, I could, I didn't drink. It was a Sunday. I could have drank all day long. Uh, a lot of people did. And I could have, I could have drank so many times there were happy hours I had to go to. There were happy hours after happy hours. There were parties, dinners. And I have I had never thought that I could put myself in that scenario, in those scenarios and not drink. That had never crossed my mind until and, this trip. And really quick, sorry to cut you off, Nicole. No for worries. for anybody who is not in similar industries as me, Pat Nicole, which we are all in the sales relationship management type of role. When you go on these trips. The majority, I'd say 95% of companies, your expectation is they're going to fill your schedule with meetings all day for two, three, four days. Yep. But outside of that, everyone's together. Everything's on the company. And literally, it's almost a requirement to just get fucked up with everybody. Yep. And then go back to your meetings. That is what they require you at these. I've been to these types of oh, events. Yeah. And so Nicole is literally walking into a a a whirlwind, a shitstorm of um, what's it called of uh, triggers Uh, but then expected to work and perform at the same time so I just wanted to emphasize that um, because I want for for any of our listeners who who aren't familiar with these types of company trips that is what she's talking about and as you mentioned I I cannot do both I cannot go into into this um, to performing and drinking (laughs) I'm gonna push back on one thing you said a little bit Carson push is you know you said, you know, the you almost said it was mandatory to 
However, I said we've almost, talked. almost required. We've talked before. It's insinuated. Like it's insinuated. Where you've drink. been on these trips and you just pass on drinking. And what's the response generally? I am. Gl- All right. So I am very glad Pat said that because he, he is right. He is right. The way that I worded that was that I might have been or, or we uh, as a people who go on these trips might be ostracized because that's not the case. So I did not mean to uh, to insinuate that. Really, what I meant was, you, Nicole, you kind of just said it best, like a rite of passage. Like, it's it's kind of an assumption. Like, all right, what do we do now? Well, we're all here. We're at a hotel. Uh, or we're, at, we're most likely at a nice city that none of us live at. I was what at are a resort we going and spa. To do? Yeah, resort and spa in Las Vegas. What are we going to do? And it doesn't have to be Vegas, by the way. I, you know, I'm going matter. to Cedar Rapids, Iowa again uh, next week. I went on this trip, and I actually ended up calling Pat to help me through that last year. It's, it's, uh, and I answered and Pat answered. Yeah. So my point is, yeah, it is very doable and sorry, Nicole, I I didn't mean to cut you off or anything, but Pat, you do bring up a good point because it's not required and mandatory. The answer is typically, Oh, okay. On to the next. And you can do whatever you want and not drink. So it's not what everybody does. It's what a lot of, a lot of people do. And here's my point there. And this is for our listeners is, and I've been in that mindset before as well, where it's like, well, I'm going out of town for work or something like that. Uh, I mean, partying, that's what a lot of people go on work trips so they can drink and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And when you step back and you've been sober for, for a while and you look back on that and you're like, well, that was just a major excuse to drink. Mm -hmm. And to be able to just not do it is acceptable, and I don't think you're going to get the – people don't give you the flack that you would think about and it. Actually, and if yeah. they do, they're dickheads, yeah, and I'm, you don't want to associate I'm gl- I'm with them anyways. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said I that. Will, yeah. I will speak to – you know, I, I was asked numerous times if I wanted a drink, and I'm like, no, I'm good. That's all. And I had thought through so many different scenarios where, I, like, what, what would I say? What would I say? It doesn't matter. People don't give a shit. At the end of the day, if you just say, no, I'm good – they're not going to challenge you on and that. And one thing that people need to realize, you don't owe anybody an explanation for anything. We're all different. I'm one of those people. That's somebody a life says, lesson right there, Pat. Yeah. If somebody says, hey, do you want to you want to drink? I will tell them flat out, no, I'm a recovering alcoholic because that's who I am and that's what I'm comfortable with. You don't have to be that way. You can be whoever you want to be. You can just say, no, uh, I'm good. You can make up any excuse you want of why you're not drinking the important thing is you don't pick up that drink yeah i i this is just it kind of it kind of makes me laugh but i say no i love alcohol but alcohol does not Not like me me at all i thought of you when i was out there yeah and people typically haha oh yeah you know me too or something like that it's it's some stupid ass little response and i just it and then it's over literally over my favorite excuse that i've heard people say they use is I'm on this medication I that. that I can't drink it. Yep. And no, not one person will ever question that excuse. You so can't. if you're afraid of telling people that, you know, you have an issue or you think they're going to question of why you're not drinking, that is a almost foolproof excuse of why you can't. Well, and the thing is, Nicole, I, I don't think you're lying. I think a lot of us would say that and be like, oh, I told that because... Um, because I didn't want to say it. But if you think about it, if you take any type of medication, most of them, you're not supposed to drink you're on it anyways. Yes. So there's a high percentage chance that that's actually true. It was true. So I was <laughs> telling a, a white lie, sort of, I guess. No, I mean, it wasn't even the a truth. Lie. It was, right. And so I, I definitely used that one. I also just said, I tried. No, I'm good. 
those three little words, no, I'm good. And nobody, nobody challenged. I did have a few drinks that were non-alcoholic, just soda, soda water and lime. And that made me feel a little more at ease as well. Mm -hmm. To somebody that only drinks soda water, I drink a 12 pack of soda water a day. So beautiful. It's wonderful. It's an institution. And and it, it is. And nobody questioned me. And I felt a little more comfortable because I, you know, why don't you have a drink? And I do. I just doesn't have. If that's and that's it. good for your peace of mind. Then <laughs> yep. by all means, you do what works for you in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. There is no one size fits all when you are, you're when you're there. Now you you had mentioned going to Las Las Vegas. Do you travel a decent bit for work? No, okay. I used to in my previous role. Because I, I all I was going to say, and this is the last point I'm going to make, is if you do travel a lot for work, there are meetings in every city. And there's apps out there that'll tell you where to find meetings. And, and I probably, that, that was the last point I would. And I, I if make. I could, if I could do it again, I would probably. I mean, in Las Vegas, there are I heard the world's best meetings out there. I would imagine so. Yep. Um. But I, I had support from friends and family every single day, and I got to wake up in my hotel, and I got I had a fancy hotel where we had the you know smart lightings, the remote controls. Like I got to open my blinds in the morning and just see the beautiful Las Vegas sober waking up in Vegas. You know, the whole Katy Perry, that's what you get for waking up in Vegas. Well, I woke up in Vegas and it was all sober and it was great. I'd be curious to hear for anybody in Vegas that lives in Vegas, because I would imagine that if your career's based in Vegas and there's a lot of people that have careers based around casinos and stuff like that and you're just so wrapped up and i could see it being easy to where you fall into addiction and then you get sober but you still got to be around vegas all the time i am i'm sure there are some fantastic meetings i'd love to hear somebody um that'd be a good yeah that'd be something good so sorry that was just no, a little off topic but um it's kind of kind it's of similar to removing myself from you know uptown charlotte and yes. going elsewhere um when you're immersed in it, you know, it's you've 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 got a choice. And so, you know, God love those people who are out there in those uh that that is a that is a hard line for me. I, I could not put myself in that type of work environment and still stay sober. So would you would you so would you say after that trip your your being there sober, would you say that hurt your career, helped your career, or did nothing to add or take away? It stayed the same. And it could be in just small ways. In small small ways, you know, the, I I beat myself up a lot. So I, I start thinking about all the things I miss, like the networking opportunities, the rubbing elbows with the, with the executives having a glass of wine or, you know, at night at the chandelier bar in the Cosmopolitan Hotel. And, you know, I I think of that that as a missed opportunity. However, when I when I was reflecting on it and came back, I looked at that as that was a good move for my career because nothing good could have come from that, from rubbing elbows. I've been there. And I can't just have a drink or two. I will take it too far. I will make an ass of myself. I'll say something wrong. So I just removed myself from that situation entirely. And when I was on that plane ride home, you know, heading back home, four and a half hour flight from Vegas. I, that was the cool, that was one of the coolest moments because I was not hungover. My first time ever being in Vegas, sober, 
on the flight back, not questioning anything I did or said, remembered the entire trip. And that right there was worth everything to me. The alcohol, I mean, that was a, I'm getting goosebumps. And it's just because like that, just proving that to myself that I could do it, that I can go to Las Vegas. And to to answer your question, Carson, yeah, I think that was a good move for my career at the end of the day, because people are going to be talking about me, but they're not going to be talking about anything stupid that I did. They'll be like, I met Nicole and she was, she was, she was great, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's That's freaking awesome. And that's a very positive point to, we end thing with that. That was uh, wonderful. Now, Again, challenge ninety and ninety. I'm That's gonna be texting. I'm gonna be texting you. And we'll, circle yeah, back, we'll, and then we'll keep you guys posted. And oh. then we will. <laughs> I love how this is a me thing. Everybody now. is going to be waiting to hear if you are going to commit. I to feel like this is accountability 90. now. This is like this is the. You're damn right. Okay. Now you can't do it. For us, you got to do it for yourself. 100%. Oh, that's the one thing. Yep. You cannot, you can, you can actually start doing it for somebody else in the, in the beginning. However, it morphs into doing it for yourself is what I've realized. And so I'd love in three months from now to, to circle back on this and, and see how you're doing. Well, in three point. months, that's, that's assuming I would start my 90 and nine, like tomorrow. No, today. Today. Because you're going to a meeting, aren't you? I am. That is true. Oh, so then 89 after. Okay. And you are to go to the Sunday meetings, so you really only have to add six a week. Oh, wow. So I go to a fabulous yeah. meeting. I'll give you the place and time that I go if you ever want to come down. I know I'll take probably, all the, I'll I told, take all the I told someone yesterday I, I helped a dear friend who may or may not be your sponsor uh, move, and I'm, I'm going to start going to her meetings on Wednesdays, I think. Okay. So there's one for you. Yep. She and I... Have to talk about this, the yeah. sponsorship. Yeah, you guys got to talk about the sponsorship. Yep. All right. Well, Nicole, we really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This has been fun. Excited fun. to have you back sometime. And we have yet to have a reoccurring guest. So, okay. We I'll we'll be the look, first. Look forward right. to, to talking to you after you do 90 and 90 because I have full faith that you're going to fulfill that. Thank you, Pat. You're welcome. And with that, that was like the, the assumptive close right there. Seller all the way. Yeah, he likes doing that. Hey, what can I say? <laughs> I where? Hold on, serious question for you. If anybody wants to find us or send us a message or anything like that, where would they? Well, how would they do that? Oh, if you want to find out more, you have questions, comments about this interview. If you want to give us your feedback on Nicole, and you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Twelve Ounces Sobriety Podcast. You can email us at Gmail which is 12 ounces sobriety pod at gmail.com. Please rate and review. Give us five stars. It helps. And with that, we will talk to you next week.